Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Do you still walk through a cemetery every day? Yeah, I have because my studio is in Brooklyn and I'm it's surrounded on two sides by this giant historic cemetery from 1836 called Greenwood. And there's like a lot of famous New Yorkers buried in there. Um, and it's really the only like nice walk you can go on in the, in the neighborhood because the rest of the neighborhood like not that nice. <laughs> and uh, the only nice walk is through these like rolling hills, but it's just covered with corpses. Um, but yeah, I always do. Is that the same place in that you shot the acoustic thing? That was Greenwood, yeah. right? Yeah. Yes, yes, it was. Yeah, it's not often we kind of see you in an acoustic setting. No, I hate it. I fucking, <laughs> I fucking hate. I don't like acoustic guitars. I don't like how they look. I don't like how they smell. Yeah, I just don't like playing acoustic. I'm not. I'm not an acoustic guy, and I really never was, to be honest. Do you feel quite restrained in comparison to what you would normally be on stage? There's no kind of jumping about or playing the guitar behind the back. It's just you and the mic stand. Yeah, I feel like I'm fucking like holding a, like a hot cup of coffee that's filled at the very top and I'm about to sneeze the whole time. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> I want to do things that I can't. And yes, you're right. I feel restrained in a sense, you know? Does that factor into the performance in any way though? That kind of restraint? Yeah, I think it's like there's something bubbling under my skin that wants to come out but isn't. And you maybe see that in some maybe like tense facial expressions at, at times kind of ties quite nicely into the songs they're yes, both quite yeah. tense in their own right kind of thematically to a certain extent absolutely absolutely what sort of stuff do you think about when you're walking through the cemetery every morning then on the way to the studio i think about the impermanence of one's life to be honest and that works its way into my music you know we're just literally on this life for a fucking split on this planet for a split second and you know most of us are already like a third of the way there and uh it's just a pretty crazy and painful thought that plagues my brain quite a bit um and then i think about that in light of the art that i'm making 
the ways in which I want to transcend my lifespan. Wait, what, what kind of age did mortality start to stare you in the face like that? 21 years old, my 21st birthday. Yeah, I remember, I remember just like laying in bed, just like fucking freaking out and thinking about it. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's something that's always kind of present in the back of the record, um, without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, death is quite often a theme to some degree, or darkness oh. at least, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, when I was with Rory in Glasgow, like we went to this giant cemetery and like filmed a whole bunch of shit too. Like I also just love cemeteries. I love the macabre. Like I always have. I'm just kind of eternally fascinated with it. You know, was that the necropolis you went to in Glasgow? Yes. Like that giant thing next to that old church. My flat was right next to that where I was staying until very recently. Yeah. I used to, I kind of used to do a similar thing. Used to quite often walk around there. So where can I atmosphere about cemeteries? Yeah. I mean, they're just parks that have, things you can read <laughs> it's just like yeah and you can just be like you sit there and you just like look at the dates of everything you're like wow that person was like my age when they died or like wow that person was 10 years old when they died and you just think about their whole life and you think about the fact that they're fucking just right there you know what i mean and you're kind of like oh yeah it's grass but you don't realize that you're like literally on top of these people and tens of thousands and we start to do the math it's fucking crazy it doesn't it's a weird kind of thing because of the time period in which they existed seems quite different it also doesn't really feel that long ago like when you think about it like 150 years and you kind of see it in writing, it's not a massive number. Right. I mean, it's crazy. In the history of uh, the planet, it's literally just like a blink of an eye. You know, it's nothing. Uh, but that's somebody's whole life. Man, this is a dark interview. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> we started yeah. heavy. Hopefully we'll kind of get, uh, we'll maybe get a little bit lighter as we go along. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, dude. I mean, speaking about darkness though, I was reading that you wrote a fairy tale in the second grade about a monster named des rocks yeah man i mean it's i read a lot of stuff when i was a kid i got lots of books of fictional stories i would write and i would always kind of create these universes that i would live in um and yeah i was just constantly birthing characters and plot lines and i would like tie them into all these action figures i had and all this stuff and i would just like sit there for hours and hours on the floor of my room and just living in my own fantasy world interesting you've kind of done this is that kind of a similar thing with what you do with your music now? You kind of construct yeah. this world for you to live in? Absolutely, without a doubt. I mean, songwriting differs a little bit for me. It's, it's like a far more insane process. Um, but yeah, it's all about literally just sitting in a room and just hearing things that aren't there. It's kind of like the definition of insanity to an extent. <laughs> <laughs> Is that what you mean when you say a far more insane process? Or? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm literally, again, like just sitting in a room and you're just trying to hear voices in your head and words in your head that don't exist yet. <laughs> so it's like, that's pretty crazy to work yourself up into that state on the regular, you know? So can you, can you see the song like in front of you? Does it kind of yeah. arrive there? Yeah. Yeah, I get just like a snippet of an idea and it just kind of unfolds itself in my head and I just try and grab it before it's gone. And uh, it's kind of like fishing, you know? It's like, and then very often I don't get it. How long does it tend to stick around before it slips Brief away? Brief seconds. So when I open my fucking voice memos app and the thing is glitchy and not working, man, sometimes I lose it. This new OS upgrade is fucking with a lot of great songs. Man. <laughs> Do you kind of have stuff set up ready to record then? I mean, when it comes to your kind of studio setup, is that geared to, to it in a way that you can capture things as soon as possible? Yeah, I just have like the most basic set up in the world i have like a microphone going into a computer and i'll just like grab a a nugget of an idea and almost always that nugget it ends up being like in the final recording and whatever like the innocence or rawness of that first take is is like is what it is 
and I'll just keep it. Does that add a certain pressure to every stage of the process? If you know that no. it could be the final thing? No. No, not at all. It, it's, it's actually the opposite. It's like very comforting that I don't have to like re-record or retrack anything I do. I'm like, these drums, I mean, whatever I just sang, like sounds like shit. And I'll be like, and it's supposed to sound like shit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, that's who I am. That's like my sound. So um, I, tr- I don't put any pressure to like, to make things that much better than they are when they first go in. Yeah, you kind of want that roughness at the heart of it. And then you can put the bits of fancy production on the kind of outer edges. Oh, yeah. I always call what I'm doing like bedroom arena rock. You know, like you got bedroom pop, but like I'm fucking in bedroom arena rock. And I, I say that to the day I die, man, because I make music very differently than other rock bands do. Very differently. How old were you when you started recording from home? I was like a teenager, you know, like had some like really simple stuff and I would like record band practices and shit. But I didn't really start like producing on my own up until just a couple years ago when I started like launching Des Rocks. And it was really more out of necessity because I was just fucking totally broke. And all I had was this 2014 MacBook Air that I still use to make almost all the records. How did that impact your songwriting process in comparison to before? Um, I think it just created a sort of sonic charm and uniqueness. Um, whereas before, if I was like with a band and we could like go to a studio, it just sounded like whatever, you know? But this is like wholly my own thing. Like there's a weird way about this room I'm sitting in right now when I record vocals in it and it just sounds so unique and it's my fucking bedroom. You know what I mean? And it's like, there's no bedroom plugin that you can buy like Danny's bedroom plugin. You know what I mean? Like you can't buy that shit. So it's like, it's super um, signature in a sense. Yeah. It just completely ties it to you in a more direct kind of way in a more specific way. Totally. And I, I found recently, like when I have gone to like those big time studios, like I've lost a lot of the magic of what makes a Dance Rocks record. Especially with the intimacy of the writing, it feels like that would kind of go together quite nicely in parallel. For sure, for sure. Like, I, I'm not the kind of guy who could, like, go into a thing and, uh, like, a, like, a quote co-write and somebody's like, uh, yay, you do the lyrics and the melody and I'll do the music. Like, it's, it's so not how I make music, you know? Do you think you've ever written a song that kind of completely captures your true self in its entirety? Oh, Absolutely, man. These <laughs> these songs that I put out are just like manifestos of uh, who I am. Like, I feel like there's a song I have called Wayne that just totally captures like my psyche, uh, without a doubt. Uh, same with Nothing Personal to an extent. Wayne's an interesting one because that came out was it kind of last summertime, around about then? Um, it was actually the like almost a year ago. Almost a year ago. Wow. Yeah. I think it was March, maybe. March. Yeah, just because this was kind of all kicking off. Yeah. But you, you kind of teased that a few months before that, and I think you put it out as like 2020 Wayne, 2021, a 2012 remaster of a 1969 event, 2021 Back from the Dead American television special, 2022 Songs for Cobras. It's this idea of the grander plan that seems to be a thread throughout a lot of what you do. How long have you kind of had, how far ahead are you thinking and how long have you had this kind of vision where you can see it all? I mean, as I discussed, I'm thinking to the grave, man. Like, I'm <laughs> thinking big picture, you know? Like, I fantasize about what my show looks like when I'm in my 50s. You know what I mean? I fantasize what it looks like 20 years from now, 30 years from now, 40 years from now, 50 years from now. Uh, I'm constantly dreaming big. And it's just the job of, I guess, everybody like around me to just kind of try and tame what I'm doing and bring it to life in a way that's practical. I've, I've written 
two television specials now that I don't think are ever going to get made. But man, I spent like months working on these things and like, you know, it's just like practical reality. So when I say, hey, I want to make this TV special, someone goes, okay, do you have $300,000 to make it? And I'm like, no. But like, I'm always dreaming big, man. And I'm always, I'm always shooting for the fucking stars. Always. Like, that's just how I was, my character. Were TV specials a big thing for you as a kid? No, not as a kid. But like, when I got a little older, I got really into them and I started doing these deep dives and like, Barbara Streisand TV specials. Tom Jones, fucking Scotland's best right there. TV specials. Um, is he from Scotland? I think so. Tom Jones. Uh, yeah. Welsh. Oh, he's Welsh. Fuck. All right. <laughs> we'll edit that part out. Um, and uh, like uh, fucking Elvis Presley specials more than any. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm obsessed with them as an art form. Is it almost that element of theatricality? Oh, absolutely. It's the element of theatricality. It's the element of surrealism and escapism. You know, and I feel like a lot of art today does not trans, a lot of music today does not transport the listener. You know, you kind of listen, you're like, it's cool song, next song, next song, next song. But I want to like create a world that people can escape to and live in and enjoy and provide like a really stimulating artistic experience to every sense imaginable. It's interesting, the idea of theatricality as well, because when you have you know, we've kind of spoken a little bit about the intimacy at the heart of the songwriting and the way that, you know, you're capturing it in your bedroom and it's very raw and honest. How do you kind of execute that in a theatrical setting and ensure that the theatricality doesn't overshadow or kind of hide the honesty at the heart of the music? I think just like the way I perform it live, to be honest, like I just kind of throw my entire body and being into it and I lose myself in every performance. You know, I like am not thinking of anything other than I'm so present. You know, and I think that point you're making, like, that's what it, that's where it comes out, just in the way I, without thinking, move to the music live and perform it. Is there any other time in your life when you're present to a similar degree? No. Uh, I would say maybe chopping garlic, and that's it. (laughs) (laughs) Have you been chopping a lot of garlic throughout lockdown then, or how are you kind of compensating for that? I was chopping garlic 30 minutes ago. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. I mean, I just like, uh, that's just like the Italian New Yorker in me. I enjoy chopping garlic and like listening to opera music and like drinking red wine and shit. Uh, but yeah, man, like, you know, it's like no other, no, that's, that's for me is like meditation performing. Yeah. Have you found it's kind of impacted your psyche in everyday life then when it's missing? As it has been for almost a year now? Absolutely. I mean, there's nothing that compares to the adrenaline rush of performing every night to like even if it's just a hundred people in a packed little club or 25,000 muse in an arena and you take that and you compare that to like watching an episode of the crown in your pajamas like fuck no you know what i mean <laughs> it's not the same high you know have you noticed patterns and ideas that you have as well you know when you're on the road as opposed to when you're rooted in the one location in new york yes traveling is very inspirational for me uh being in a different place waking up in a different place you just kind of like perceive the world differently and you get a lot of different ideas creatively. The further you go from home, does that impact that in any way? No, I don't think distance. I mean, but being sleep deprived, strangely for me, is like amazing for your creativity, which sucks. You know, like I really wish that wasn't the case. I wish like eating a fucking giant bowl of pasta was awesome for your creativity because I would be fucking <laughs> banging out at three albums a week, you know? Uh, so yeah, but like, but when I travel far, like when I was in the UK, um, I was like so jet lagged and I never adjusted. And I was just like, I had the craziest ideas, the craziest voice memos on my phone. I probably did some of the weirdest shit on stage. Who knows? I think it's what they call 
is it the hypnagogic state? This kind of state between sleeping and being awake. You know, when you're almost like a zombie. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's like when you're about to fall asleep or yeah. you're just coming out of sleep. Yeah, I mean, you get the best ideas, without a doubt. Do you keep a notepad by the bedside table then? I have this, I mean, just voice memos, you know. I'll just, so many of my voice, of my ideas start as voice memos. And I'm like, all, it's always in the middle of the night or like really early in the morning. And it sucks because then I'll just like, if it's really good and it's like, it's late enough in the morning, like if it's 4.45 or 5.30, I'll just be like, motherfucker, let me get this idea right now. And open up the laptop and just start working on it. You know what I mean? And uh, that sucks. I wish it wasn't the case. <laughs> Is that, uh, was it Pieces that came from that on the new EP? Yes. Yeah. Pieces came out of a dream. Yeah. Like at five-ish in the morning or some shit. What was the dream? The dream was I was in this giant songwriting factory and I was in this room, which is kind of a nightmare. I was in a room with all these people and they were like, we have to write a song for Lovely the Band. And I was like, I don't want to write a song for Lovely the Band. And they said, no, you need to do this. I was like, all right. And then me and this room of people, we fucking slaved away at writing this song all day and all night and we got nothing. And then the boss comes back in and he says, what'd you get? I go, we don't have anything. He goes, all right, we'll get the fuck out. And then I'm leaving this songwriting factory. I said, wait, I have an idea. And this is so fucking weird. <laughs> and then I go, and I just sang to this room of people. I was like, and like they all looked at me, they're like, that's fucking amazing. And I was like, yeah, right. And then I woke up. I was like, oh, fuck. And I, you know, I ran into the other room and just recorded it as quickly as I can. And those ums in the beginning of that song are the ums from five in the morning. Do you have anything lyrically at that point? Uh, no, I just kind of like scratched out, um, like a, a melody. And then later I, I wrote up the lyrics for the song when I like figured out what the song meant to me, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, it's interesting because listening to you describing that dream there, when I listen to pieces, I kind of get this sense of almost like New York neuroticism, if you know what I mean, that kind of nervous oh, energy yeah. that the city has, which seems to be something that's paralleled in the dream that you had, but that pressure of not being able to come up with a song initially yeah i mean this place and this life is filled with pressures and there is a certain chaos and energy to the city that defines my music and my soul without a doubt did you feel that energy you know kind of from an early age growing up yes i was always a maniac i've always been a maniac <laughs> uh i mean there's like i was just always a hundred miles an hour all the time you know i used to take I used to have a violin teacher when I was a little kid. I used to play violin. And she would always say to me, she goes, Danny, she goes, always, you always want to jump in the pool without looking at how deep it is because you're going to break your neck. She would always say this to me. She was like 95 years old. Um, and I was like, yeah, I always just want to jump in the pool. You know? You used to too when you were playing violin, didn't you, as a kid? Yeah, I was in these like little youth orchestras when I was like in ninth grade. Um, and we would tour around and I was like just good enough to be the worst one in the orchestra you know so you could just kind of be like the last chair of a really good orchestra and you can do whatever the fuck you want it sounds great and no one's gonna notice you know yeah i was in the same position i used to do a similar thing with kind of <laughs> concert bands and jazz bands and you were always kind of just sneaking in yeah i mean like you could just like hit like all wrong notes all the time no one's gonna fucking notice <laughs> just enjoy the ride it sounds great you know enjoy the music where did you tour we did like these south america tours um yeah yeah like in coach buses and it was really fun. It was definitely like a great cultural experience for sure. That must broaden your horizons pretty early. Like most people don't really get that experience of travel until they're, you know, in their 20s. Yeah, definitely. You know, in being from Long Island, it's 
you know, you don't dream of going to like Chile, you know what I mean? So it was definitely awesome. What were the, um, the rec center shows you used to go to as well? Cause I don't think we have rec centers over here. You don't have them? No, I don't, I don't know. Actually, I don't actually know what, how you define it. What is a rec center? A rec center is short for recreation center and like pretty much all towns in, I guess the tri-state area have these, just these places that will have like basketball courts and, uh, other athletic kind of facilities and you have like your dances there and shit. And yeah, they were like kind of like a a beacon of shows in Long Island for bands. And I just grew up always playing shows at these things. And we would play them at rec centers, we'd play them at churches, we'd play them at temples. Um, we'd play them at these things called Legion Halls, which are popular in the Northeast as well. And yeah, like it was just a super, super DIY kind of world that I came from. Um, up until very recently, just playing shows all around New York and anywhere else that would let me play to just absolutely nobody uh, every night. <laughs> yeah. How old are you at this point? Continuer or? 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19. Yeah. You playing kind of similar stuff? Were you doing the rock and roll thing back then? or I was doing just straight up like punk music. I was extraordinarily influenced by My Chemical Romance's first album and second album. I was just like obsessed with that, but I was simultaneously obsessed with like Queen and, and Bruce Springsteen and these, these sort of bigger, more grandiose artists. And I was just always like this 13, 14, 15 year old little punk playing this like show at a rec center and pretending I was in a fucking arena and playing for like my cousin and like a handful of people who stopped by. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember you speak about the energy of Des Rocks and how it was always within you. And it was only once you started doing this kind of artistic outlet that you found a way to channel it properly. Were those punk shows kind of tapping into it to a certain extent, but not the full way? Or how do they kind of relate to the energy you get from a show now? Oh, 100%. Like I played those shows back then the same way I played those new shows or play with the Rolling Stones, like the exact exact same energy. It's the same show to eight people as it is to 80,000, like without a fucking doubt. Um, and yeah, you know, in those early days, you're always in bands. So you're always like one of four, one of five, you know? And you don't have the opportunity to have like a creative dictatorship, you know what I mean? Which is what I think is essential in just being able to do exactly what you want to do and exactly how you want to do it, you know? So yeah, you, you just didn't, like that energy was there, like that nugget of it, but you just didn't get to let it out, you know? Do you feel like, well, yeah, because I mean, I guess you can move at your own pace now and you can go a lot faster if you want to. Yeah, there's no red tape. There's no bureaucracy. There's no committeeing songs. There's no, well, we all get equal. No, it's just like, this is, it is who it is and I am who I am. And I'm just kind of like a lone man here with a couple close friends helping me out on, the, on all the production and stuff. And yeah, that's, that's what Des Rocks is. Do you feel like you move at quite a fast pace now when it comes to the kind oh. of creative process? Yeah, man, I'm jumping in the pool and... Maybe I'll break my neck. You know what I mean? Uh, I move. I move relentlessly fast. I'm very much of like a philosophy that it's always better to ask for forgiveness and permission. And I'm also from a philosophy that nobody ain't gonna do shit for you. You know, I was growing up. I just had to like do everything myself. Like nobody in my family knew music, knew the music industry. You know, so when I was a little kid, I would take the train to Manhattan and like hand out my fucking CDs that I would burn on my mom's computer to everyone coming out of Irving Plaza, which I now live across the street from, you know? So I would like do this hustle and this grind, like a fucking hip hop kind of grind my whole life. So yes, I'm, I'm moving quickly. It's a long way of answering that question. How long did you do that grind for before you started to see some traction? Uh, <laughs> like from age 13 to like two years ago. 
and and it's still the grind. It's the same grind, but it's not. It just manifests itself differently now. Now I'm able to focus more on the music and the art, and have to worry less about handing out my CDs at at shows. <laughs> <laughs> I imagine that makes the creative process a little bit more freeing once you kind of remove those outside pressures, maybe or to an extent. I'm actually finding like when I have a full day to work on something, it's kind of bad for me. You know what I mean? I like uh, the adversity and having to like overcome the odds. You know, my whole life is spent working these like shitty day jobs and then working on music all night long, you know, as like a passion. And I worked so hard on music at night and rehearsed in these fucking awful places because of the restraint of what I had during the day. Um, and I feel like if I didn't have that, I don't know, if I was like some rich kid or some shit, like maybe I wouldn't be working as hard on, on the music, you know? Because I was like, I got seven hours where I have to go back to fucking work. I was like, go crazy, you know? Did you get much sleep at that point? No, I had a couple. <laughs> I had a couple years where I was like in school, and working a job, and in a band, and I was like really trying to like go hard in the band, and I was I was just working all night, every night. It was such a fucking grind. Definitely a lot of missed birthday parties and friends events for sure, but it's just the nature of the beast. You know, you have to give yourself entirely to it, otherwise. it's not going to be that great yeah i mean creativity is a kind of inherently selfish act isn't it for sure uh absolutely i i think what i have to say to the world and my means of expressing myself through the medium of music is important and should be heard by other people so that's definitely a narcissistic sort of angle to begin with it's probably a better way to channel narcissism than in the everyday like if you can kind of get rid of that itch and that setting it's healthier than have it manifest in everyday conversations yeah i mean and strangely it's like you know there's like two halves of the brain or, or two aspects of the personality in a sense it's like on stage oh yeah like i'm i'm a fucking monster like i always say that the person on stage is the real me but then in like day-to-day stuff like I'm, i actually don't at all like being center of attention um and i'm very kind of mild-mannered and, and, and reasonable as a human being. Do you ever feel restrained in the day-to-day by comparison? No, I mean, only, only in the sense, like I think if I was performing on a stage all day and all night, it would be, I would die probably. Uh, you know, like if that part of me, that like Mr. Hyde was out all the time, at the same time, you know, not playing shows, I definitely feel that uh, pent-up frustration. I mean, it's interesting that you call it that kind of Mr. Hyde side to you as well do you kind of very much have to identify as a separate side of yourself in order to kind of exist as a normal person too um no because i think for me you know i never had this i was always this person who like had to get an education had to go to school i had to work a job and like so i could do music at night so i was good at like switching i was good at being like okay i got out of this fucking shit ass office like now i'm able to do what i really want to do and turn on the fucking creative juices and like turn on like the things that would become des rocks you know you got a law degree didn't you yes back in the day then did Um, you did you work as a lawyer for a while yeah and i was like you know doing legal shit and uh for me like i was always getting like fucked in bands when i was a kid and i would be touring and i'd be playing these podunk places and like you know my band was shit but like let's say we brought 25 kids to the show and i would say hey 25 kids right that's like 250 bucks in tickets um so can i have some gas money they'd be like nah like xyz abc and i was like fuck this i hate not knowing everything i want to always be the most knowledgeable person in the room i want i don't want people to know that but i want to know what's going on 
You know what I mean? I want to know my business. Like there's a strange perception in rock that you should be like, you know, just be this cool boy artist. Like, no, man, like I'm of a very different fucking ilk. Like I take a page from Jay-Z. Like I want to know my business. I always want to know what's going on. I don't want to be reliant on people to tell me what's going on, you know? So I have like a very different approach as far as like being educated on all subjects of what I'm it's about having this control, isn't it? It's the same thing when we're speaking about making the world of the music. Maybe even the same thing, you know, when you were making worlds up in stories as a kid. It's about having control over something and not to rely upon a cliche, but in control of your own kind of path and future. Oh, absolutely. Like, I'm a total control freak. Like, ask anybody, you know? <laughs> um, but <laughs> at the same time, yeah, I, I think if you have the knowledge of what your business is and like what you're doing, then you could put together the best team of people around you who you trust and have them doing like amazing things on your behalf so you can focus more on the creative side of things at what point did you kind of feel that team fall into place for you um yeah well with, with des rocks like just you know in the last year and a half or so um just like putting together like management age like all, all this shit business management you know um it, it takes a village man it really does and behind every artist there are all these people who are working so so hard who never get credit you know and it's always important to recognize them and appreciate them. Did you feel like a weight coming off of your shoulders when you kind of managed to set that up? Uh, I felt like a weight slowly passing off my shoulders to other shoulders. You know what I mean? Like, because <laughs> you're so reluctant in the beginning to like give away anything that you're doing. You know what I mean? To like, to let anyone into your, into your world and like affect your baby that you've dreamt about and thought about nonstop 24-7 for the last few years and in a way your whole life. Um, so. It's tough, but there is some sigh of relief, like knowing you're in good hands. How has your relationship to New York changed over the last few years as you've kind of toured all over the world a little bit more? And kind of it's home. Yeah, it is so fucking home, man. It's just like I go other places and I realize how I cannot exist in other places for a very long time. I'm like, for me, like New York is like what the sun is to Superman. And if like he needs to go up there and like recharge every once in a while, you know what I mean? Is there a kind of dialect in New York, you know, kind of slang that's separate to the rest of America? No, I don't, yeah. I don't think so. Um, New York is just like everything at once. Like everything in the world, every sound, every smell, every person at once. That's how I describe it. <laughs> you need a lot of energy to live there. Yeah, I mean, you have to put up with a lot of shit. You're going to see some crazy shit. You're going to... But you're going to like, I don't know, it, it's such a thing. Like you either are a New Yorker or you're not. And I think a New Yorker could be somebody who moves here from the middle of the country and lives here for a year and is like, yes, I'm a fucking New Yorker. Or it could be someone who's lived there for, here for 80 years. You know what I mean? It's just like an attitude and a lifestyle. What qualities kind of define a New Yorker for you? Uh, I think, without a doubt, a certain sense of resilience, a certain sense of community. Yeah, those, those are the two things that come to mind. I mean, I'm about to, after this interview, I'm going to walk outside my door, take my dog outside, and I'm going to see people sitting on the street in the freezing fucking cold weather, eating at restaurants, bundled up in jackets to support local businesses, and also because we like to eat in New York and go out, you know? But we're doing it safely, and, like, we adapt to the times and do what we got to do. Like, we get in line quickly um, for the greater good. Yeah. It's the same in Scotland, man. I was out for a walk today and saw a guy walking about in his shorts and it's two degrees under. <laughs> I love that. <sighs> was Kerouac a New Yorker? Uh, I don't know if he's 
Well, yeah, definitely New York based. Yeah, he lived I don't know here, where yeah. he was born. Um, let's see. I'll look it up. He was born in Massachusetts. All right, so he's like an East Coaster. But yeah, definitely like a strong New York based. And then he had this incredible like love affair with all things San Francisco for a while. When were you kind of first exposed to the writings of him? I don't know, to be honest. I think actually I was like strangely exposed via that book. I think it was called like Into the Wild about the guy Christopher McCandless who like goes into Alaska and goes off the grid and he ends up dying alone in this thing. Because the mushrooms, he was, yeah. Yes, because he was so inspired by Jack Kerouac's On the Road. And I was like, this book seems like a terrible idea. I was like, let me check it out. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think that's how I got, I got into it in a, in a, in a weird way. But I felt, I, I just really liked the poetry and the, and the prose. I just, it's such a fucking time and a place, you know? And it's so creative and weird. Is that kind of partially where your affinity for this, it's almost kind of, you know, like bluesy kind of timeless classic imagery. We're kind of speaking about the darkness earlier. These kind of, I'm trying to think of a way, to, it's almost just these images that feel timeless that could have been written in songs, you know, 50 years ago when you were writing them in songs today. Yeah, I mean, it may all just come from a similar place in my soul without without a doubt you know i i do love like the 50s i'm I'm pretty obsessed with the era i'm obsessed with the fashion um and just the past in general like i'm always kind of invoking the past and always trying to push it into the future and like drag rock and roll music kicking and screaming into the 21st century by getting weird and taking risks but also like the things I love are like classic melodies and, and timeless lyrics and these things. So I'm always drawing on the past at the same time. Yeah. It's kind of like what we were saying earlier, where at the heart of your songwriting is this honest thing and then it's kind of surrounded by slightly, you know, big kind of theatrical production. It's in the same sense that at the heart of your songwriting is this classic kind of imagery and things evocative of the past, but you're kind of contextualizing them in a modern soundscape. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. Like I'll take like a really um, melody that I find very beautiful and I'll record it on like my 2014 MacBook Air, you know? So it's like, <laughs> that is definitely like the vibe. Is the allure of the past and the allure of the future coming from a different place inside of you? Or are they tapping into the same thing? Um, I think they're different things. Like I I'm, I'm definitely have a sense of nostalgia for certain things. And I always think that I was like born in the wrong time, to be honest. Um, what time do you think you should have been born in? Oh, I don't fucking know. Maybe like I'm like a World War II generation person or something. I maybe I should be like uh like making records in the 50s and 60s. Um but at the same time like I just love modern music and modern production and I love I'm thrilled and possessed by the idea of just doing whatever the fuck feels good and feels dope with the production on the songs that come from this more timeless place. It's interesting, though, that you say you feel like you should have been born in a different time. I wonder, is that almost, I don't know, are you familiar with the film Midnight in Paris? Yes, yes. Do you think it's almost like part of the human condition, that idea that we all feel like we should have maybe been born 50 years ago or 30 years ago? Absolutely. I think people will constantly fetishize the past. I mean, maybe with exceptions to like some really... Maybe this is just like a novel kind of 20th century thing. Like, I don't think somebody in the 1700s was like, man. I want to go back, back to the Middle Ages. Yeah, <laughs> I want to go back to like the 1500s. Man. Like, if I was just born during the Renaissance, wow. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I just don't think, um, I think it's like a uniquely 20th and 21st century condition. What's fueling that then? What's changed in the 20th century that's kind of causing that? Uh, I don't know. Probably just like phones and email. 
<laughs> I guess we we have access to the past in a way that we didn't before. Yeah, I mean, I'm literally talking to you, and you're in Scotland. Like that is so far, and it's in real time. Like, are you fucking kidding me? It's miraculous. I can't believe it. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm definitely like an intensely, even though I'm like pretty extroverted with my fans and social media and everything, and in general, um, you know, I, I'm pretty intensely private and like the idea of like being off the grid in a sense. It's interesting, you know, we're, we're kind of speaking about the way that we fetishize the past. Why do you think it is that kind of past this turn of the century, rock music to a certain degree has kind of felt a little bit reluctant to move forward in the same way maybe it did through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s? Because nobody's taking risks creatively. Nobody is getting weird. Everybody is just concerned about what other people will think about their music. And they put their music through this fucking factory, one size fits all process. Or they go in the studio with producer X, they record 10 songs. They're like, man, I really hope people are going to like this. And then they put it out and that's it. And it's like, who gives a fuck? Like an alt band or a rock band or whatever you want to call it today sounds the exact same as it did 10 years ago and 20 years ago. And there's a reason why there haven't been any like massive, massive bands since like the days of the Killers and Kings of Leon and Coldplay. You know what I mean? Um, I feel like it's kind of all wrapped up in the beginning of those bands' careers with people just like making big, beautiful music, but also pushing boundaries sonically. Um, that's my spiel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a stale thing, man. Like no one, I think you just have to have this mentality of I'm going to make this music. If nobody fucks with it, so be it. The second you're like, I'm making this music and I hope other bands like it. I hope radio people like it, whatever you're fucked. You're never going to do anything worthwhile. Like people try and like invoke these bands from the sixties and seventies as like what people should be doing now, perhaps. But it's so important to remember that what those bands were doing in the 60s or 70s was innovative. It was new. Like what we call classic rock was the most fucking progressive thing on planet Earth at the time. You know, um, it was the fucking like emo trap of its day. It was taking these other things from the 50s and building on it and pushing it and challenging it sonically and taking risks, you know. Um, so I think that same ethos needs to be applied today. That's what's missing. It's funny you mentioned emo rap, though, because if you listen to a lot of that stuff, you're kind of little people, whatever, there's a lot of kind of Nirvana and Rocky stuff in that. For sure. Like the bedrock I mean, of it. Yeah, I mean, they're like taking things from the past and pushing them forward. And then what happens is like eventually it gets really saturated with lots of sound alikes and something new happens, you know? Do you think it's different now, though, that we're in this kind of post modernity age with the kind of age of nostalgia that we're in at the moment where everything's kind of game like you can kind of do anything you can make a you can be Dua Lipa and make a disco record or you can be Kendrick Lamar and you can push something that's going in a completely new direction hell yeah there there are no rules and I feel like rock is one of the few genres of music that doesn't feel that way I'm here to change that do you think if you do something different though or when you do something different you'll get classified as alternative instead of rock and they'll try and put you in a different thing yeah i mean who knows you know like i don't give a fuck about any lanes categories titles i think rock is not a sound i think rock is just an energy and attitude and that if i make a fucking poker record after this record that's even the most fucking rock shit ever you know what i'm saying it's like queen who you always kind of i think you're quite a big fan of freddie mercury right huge yeah yeah it's the same thing Um, kind of doing something completely within their own lane you gotta just take a fucking big swing and either you're gonna hit a home run or you're gonna just miss and whiff and fall on your ass anything in the middle there's a lot of that already 
there's no room for that. You know, it's not worth anyone's time. There's a lot of music out, not worth listening to. Do you have a sense when you're kind of, like you said, you know, hitting a home run and kind of going for it and doing something completely out there? Or do you just kind of see it always doing something true to yourself? Um, It's a combination of both, you know? Like sometimes I'll make a song, I'm like, man, this feels like a little safe. Like how can I fucking like really challenge this and get weird? And then sometimes I'll be like, well, that's just, the song doesn't need that. You know, it made the song needs like kind of just guitar and bass and drums or something, you know? I don't ever want to get weird for the sake of getting weird. I want to be progressive in my choices, but always do what's best for the song. You know, the song will kind of tell you what it needs. Yeah, it's like nothing personal. You kind of you kind of almost start off on a kind of slightly rap-oriented thing, and then it goes into this kind of stomping bluesy rock, and it feels completely organic. Yeah, I mean, I hope it's just a fucking hodgepodge of God knows what, but at the end of the day, I just if it feels good, it feels good. I don't care what I used. I don't care... Um, how I got there, I just go by gut. If it feels good, it feels good. Do you think that confidence is kind of what gives that song such a swagger? Oh yeah, you gotta. Move to it? Yeah, you gotta be like immensely, I think, confident uh, to make music. Yeah, I mean, it's probably a, a very double-edged sword where you go through periods of like the exact opposite. Um, but in the middle of like really creating a song, it's definitely a burst of extraordinary confidence. Do conviction and self-doubt fuel you in different ways? Absolutely. Absolutely. How so? Uh, I mean, I think every artist is, is paralyzed by crippling self-doubt, especially in an age where you kind of are able to constantly compare yourself to other things going on. And I firmly believe in that Mark Twain quote, that comparison is the death of joy and that one should, <laughs> never, never, one should really never compare. They're totally unique things. You know, like, wow, that song is fucking awesome. What about mine? Well, they're two totally fucking different songs, you know? Um, and the second you can free yourself of that paralyzing constraint, I think the better off you will be creatively and in life in general, especially mentally. Yes. Kind of coming back to the, the kind of voice of that song and what I was, you know, what we were kind of saying about the way that it moves and the kind of confidence of it and the swagger to it. How do you find the persona for the voice of a song in terms of the way you're singing? Cause you, on this, especially on this last EP, the voice is doing a lot of different things and singing a lot of different styles. Yeah, I think just like there are different parts of my voice that I access to express different sentiments. You know, my voice can be a little versatile, but it all lives in the same sort of universe. Like I couldn't sing like Imagine Dragons if I ever wanted to. You know what I mean? I could just never sound like that, you know, um, no matter how hard I tried to impersonate it. So, yeah, there's just these like kind of like different shades of the same color in, in my mind. Do different keys have different personas and personalities yeah i mean i was just tracking vocals on a song right now that i was just like fuck i just wrote this song i cannot sing it so i'm just screaming as loud as i fucking can and then i'm like you'll figure out live whatever you need to do to get through it <laughs> yeah so i'm just like literally fucking screaming this shit um yeah that's fascinating so the melodies don't always suit the the vocal range to a certain extent yeah but i'll like a key that the song is in and i'm like fuck I I like this key. There's something magical about this key. So just do it. Do whatever you need to do to get, to get it down. Does it, I mean, what do you kind of primarily write on as well? Do you tend to stick to the same thing or instrument-wise? Yeah, like I just, like I'm pretty computer-based or guitar-based, and that's really it. When you're computer-based, are you kind of constructing a rough sketch of the entire soundscape as opposed to just the core of it? Or Yeah, yeah, like I'll put down MIDI and just get like basic ideas of things and like I'll track guitar and I'll get like a rough demo, like what I call like one of my rat demos, just like a shitty ass little demo. And then I'll spend time uh, like just kind of fleshing the whole thing out. 
Why'd you call it a rat demo? You know what? I don't know. It's just like it sounds ratty, you know? It's just like a little shitty rat demo and it's just like a nugget of a of a song. Are you are you still in the studio at the moment that's kind of underground? Uh no, I'm in the studio in the graveyard. Did you used to be in one that was kind of like an old train station or something or an old construction thing? That's just like I don't know what that is out there on the internet, but no, not really. <laughs> so is this kind of just a standard kind of building by the graveyard? Yes, yes. It is a it's above a bakery shop. And I've just had so many weird studios and spaces throughout the years and every kind of such weirdo situation you can imagine. Windows or no windows? Oh, I have windows for the first time ever. For the first time ever? And, mm-hmm. For the first time in my life. And it's amazing. How has that affected your perception of time in the studio? I have one now. <laughs> <laughs> I used to not. The days used to kind of just float by. I mean, it was like being in a fucking casino. Like, you don't know what's up, what's down, or what's going on. You know, it, it fucks with you. I didn't realize that until recently, that that was why casinos didn't have windows, to kind of just remove that barrier. And you don't realize yeah. how long you've been gambling. There's no, like, it's nighttime, time to go home. None of that shit. You know, speaking of casinos, slightly loose transition to snakes, two things of mistrust. <laughs> Where uh, Where's the kind of cobra motif coming from? Um, You know, there's there's kind of like certain musical motifs that I reference and incorporate into my music to connote different parts of my personality. And the Cobra is one of them. It's kind of like this venomous strand within myself um, that I like literally featured on a song, you know, just like a fictitious entity. The way that you're kind of saying it's, you know, representative of part of your personality, does it almost become like a go-to tool when you're wanting to speak about a certain aspect of yourself or does it just come out completely organically and you don't have a control over when you use it? Yeah, I'd say the latter for sure. Like it's just this kind of thing where I'm like, and I'll fuck with the way the voice sounds and make it this kind of totally fucked up like character sounding thing. Um, and that to me like is like the Cobra. Yeah. Are you kind of speaking about the same thing you do? Uh, what's the end of the song again where you pitch the vocals right down? Uh, pieces I do that as well. There's some Cobra cameos going on in a lot of the records, and I kind of sprinkle them throughout um, to, I don't know, maybe subliminally focus or communicate certain things. Yeah, it's interesting how much of the impact music kind of has on people is in a completely subliminal way. How do you kind of yeah. how do you kind of get a grasp over that? What's impacting people in a way they don't realize? I don't know. It, it fucks me up to think about. You know that like the this idea of psychoacoustics and how loud something can be and certain choices you make when mixing the records can have profound effects on the way people perceive them. It's a weird thought. I was speaking to a guy on the podcast this morning who was telling me about how even like the shape of your bat teeth and the way the music radiates and it can impact the way it kind of stimulates your brain and the way it, you know, makes you feel. Whoa, that's wild. It's crazy all these things you don't think about, these kind of just completely out with their control. Yeah, you know, like just the subtlest things. I don't know, we're these very weird, complex creatures that have evolved over millions of years. And I think we haven't even scratched the surface on how this shit works. Yeah. Well, we're only, what we, we were saying earlier, you know, how brief 150 years ago feels. It's the same thing when we've only been here, what, 10,000, 12,000 years or something? Right. Yeah, like as, as society, yeah. Where did the core do you kind of remember when the chorus line for this is your life came to you uh yeah that was another one in a dream where i was just like i just kept singing it sorry my voice might sound a little weird right now because i'm under my dining room table trying to get my dog out of this thing um yeah this is our life man it came to me like 
I just was like, this would be a fucking huge thing to scream to the world. And it's the craziest time right now. And I want to scream it to the world, you know? So I had that chorus. And then the rest of the song just happened like really, really fast, um, which is my favorite way to work because it's a lot less fucking work. <laughs> when the song just kind of writes itself like really quickly and you're not second guessing any of the choices or anything, it just happens. That's, that's the best. So everything builds out from that center point in that one phrase? Yes, 100%. I was like, I know what the song is about. I know what I want to say to the world in this song. I know how I want to produce it, all that shit. And I know how I want to arrange it and compose it. And it just happens. And then you write the lyrics really quickly. And you don't second guess anything or yourself or anything at all. It's the best feeling in the world. Again, it comes back to that confidence we're speaking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. You just kind of get this like lucid moment or just like this, the fucking seas open up and you have a path and you can just walk right across and escape Egypt or whatever the shit. <laughs> Do they always tend to form in that kind of way with the anthemic thing at the center and then you kind of build it out naturally or are there ones that you can have to grit your teeth and, and work at a little bit? And Yeah, I mean, so- songs kind of fall into two camps of like the easy ones and the hard ones. And I hate the hard ones, man. I, like, I've had songs I've been working on for years and years and years. And I had I, a song that I put on the EP that came out a month ago that I wrote and recorded like three weeks before the EP was released. And I was like, you know what I mean? Like, and I was just like, Whereas there are songs that are like Suicide Romantics on my last EP is a song I've been working on for three years. And P.O.S., the song that starts the EP, is a song that I, you know, did three weeks before the EP came out. So that's like a real uh, dichotomy in my process. It's probably, it's interesting because that's probably the most visceral song on the EP as well. It kind of just roars it into life and it's got this kind of scrappy punk edge to it too. Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That one's a rattlesnake and I can't wait to get that on the fucking stage. <laughs> Yeah, and it just like it was just wrote itself, man. I was just like playing this riff, and it just happened so fast, and it felt so good. So it originates from the riff, and then the lyrics kind of form atop. Yeah, I was like, I was like, imagine if a fucking song started like that today. I was like, I was get so pumped up, and I was like, I wish that existed. I was like, wait a second, I'm an artist. Like, you know, let me do that. You know, that's how a lot of these songs come about. Where I'm like, there are these things that I wish existed that don't, and I just want to bring them to life. Do you think they? Does it almost sometimes feel like they do exist and you're kind of just grabbing them out of the air? Like you're almost like piecing yeah. a puzzle together? Yeah. Yeah, it just kind of floats by and you just try and grab it. And it's like, you know, I, I wish that fucking riff existed. I had that riff for a second. I was like, oh, it would be so cool if that was a thing. And then you kind of just run with it. How did that kind of change the shape of the rest of the EP once you had that song? Just kind of like was like the last block in like a Tetris thing, you know, where it fell into place and the whole thing disappears. And I was like, ah, that's how I want to start the EP, you know? It's like flip, 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 and boom. It just like falls into place. It's like, that, that's it. I'm, I'm, it must kind of change the overall rhythm of it to a certain degree and the kind of flow yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, sequencing to me is like really important and something I labor over. And uh, yeah, it's just like, I was like, this is like open a fucking EP, you know? Is sequencing almost an instinct thing or is there a kind of conscious thought process behind it? Uh, both. There, there can be, if there's like a theme that is important for me to continue between songs, um or more of a concept that i'm invoking in more than one song those things come into consideration but it's also musical as well what do you kind of feel that fuels your creativity more overall instinct or conscious thought instinct always instinct i hate conscious thought when it comes to creative (laughs) process always fucking instinct yeah it's my gut like music is guttural you know what i mean it's emotional like shit that's like really heady like vampire weekend like bony bear like shit that's well done i think that's some of the greatest music on planet fucking earth but I can never do that. You know what I mean? Like, I can never, like, take all that time to, like, how finely done that is. Like, I like edge. I like rawness. Um, 
and I just like pure expressions of emotion. And then sprinkling in complexities and, and lyrics that are deeply personal, like that's what makes it interesting. But as far as just like the gut punch of an opening riff, like that's insane. Do you feel like a simple message can almost be more compelling? Absolutely. I think it's, I think it's far more difficult to reach a lot of people than it is to reach a few people. You know, I think there's like a, a certain beautifully, beautifully complex simplicity to a Queen song. You know, it's like they can be the most complex things in the world, but at the same time, it's like the most accessible music in the world. And that's not easy to do. Yeah. I mean, if you look at like, the arrangement to Bohemian Rhapsody, and I mean, what, I mean, that song was, what, that was the biggest hit, right? Pretty much. Yeah. I would, I would and say it's, so. well, it's how complex is that? They can have arrangement to it. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, but it like, doesn't like feel it. Like everything just feels natural. Nothing feels forced, you know? Do you ever lose sight of that natural feeling if you've been working on a song for like years? How do you kind of yeah. keep a hold of it? You don't. It's tough. You lose all perspective. Um, yeah. <laughs> do you ever get it back? Uh, if, you, if you take a break from it, like if I, like Suicide Romantics, like I gave up on for like a year and then I came back to it and I revisited it and then I was able to have some clarity on that song. When you got that clarity, how did it change? What did you kind of notice and then how did you go about acting on that? Um, you know, it's similar to like starting from square one. Like you just don't listen. You're like, ah, oh, the song should be like this. And then it all just happens really fast. Again, it comes back to that idea of it being a burst of kind of primal thing. Yeah. Yeah. And having fresh ears on it. Super important. Same with dreams that like we we're speaking about earlier. It's this organic kind of thing that just happens yeah, just, to us. Just happens to you. Yeah. What's the dream you have about your last show? Oh, like me on a stage and dying. I think that'd be a great way to go out to be honest. My last ever show. Dying on stage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? You know? How old are you in this dream? Do you know? I uh, Hopefully elderly as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look at the Stones. Support them. Yeah. Still going I mean, at War They 78, 80? Exactly. Enough. Yeah, man. I mean, that's the dream right there, to be doing it until I fucking croak. 100%. You know, we were speaking earlier as well about this grander plan. How does that impact the way you kind of view each individual release when you can see it in the context of what's coming? Well, I mean, it's, it impacts it a lot because... There's, a, um, there's an instinct to want to just put out the music that I did most recently. But for me, it's all part of a much larger way in how I develop things thematically and how I develop things musically. Um, so there are songs coming out on this album that I wrote and finished like a year ago or two years ago. Um, I'm always just constantly writing so much music. And then I'm like looking at it all and I'm thinking about like, how do I want to tell the story? And I take everything and I, I sequence it in a way that makes sense, the evolution of where I'm going. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 